Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Rusty Quill presents. Hey everyone, Alexi Talander here. Before we get this week's first episode started, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Rusty Quill presents The Town Whispers is a narrative horror podcast that will tell the many stories hidden behind the rain, the fog, and the trees of a town called The Fort. Events that take place in The Fort are not suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. Macmillan gripped the handles of a well-loved lunch tray. The teacups clattered as she made her way down the dark hallway on the second floor of her home. A window at the end of the corridor let sharp-edged rays of light through its dirty panes. She wasn't as steady in her hands or in her legs as she'd once been, and she'd taken a tumble or two over the years when her arthritic knees gave way to gravity, but inside the sagging skin and hollowing bones was the child, who still blew air at dust to watch it swirl in the brick-solid rays of particle-filled light. Ruth breathed deeply in, settling her nerves and placed a smile on her face before placing the tray down and knocking. Hello? Oh, why, hello, dear! Yes? Earl Grey or Orange Picot? I'm quite busy right now. Oh, don't be silly! It's lunchtime! May I open the door? I can take lunch later. Uh, I'm sorry, was there an additional charge for privacy that I neglected to pay? Unbothered by the bristly manner of her new lodger, Ruth led her way across the threshold of his room with a smile, before bending down with a breathy groan as her knees moaned and turned to face the new lodger staying in her home, and held out a tray of cookies and tea. Or orange picot, darling. Well, which was it? He hasn't 
haven't chosen yet, dear. Oh, what the hold up? Well, Earl Grey or Orange Picot? Orange Picot. Darn it. My money was on Earl Grey. Orange Picot! thought so. <laughs> Wait, didn't you say that you had no other borders at the moment? I I don't. No. Then who was that just now? Oh, Minnie. Who's Minnie? Ah, look at you, taking an interest in others, now so inquisitive. Uh, Minnie is my friend. Uh, we're both widows, you know, it's safer to live together as we advance in years. Ailing health, steep stairs, you know. I feel... I've missed something. Oh, no, no. It's a little game that we, um... It's nothing, really. Nothing at all. I mean, perhaps... Wouldn't find it interesting. A, a young man like you has no interest, surely. Oh. Go on. Well, if you insist. Ruth McMillan settled into an armchair before leaning forward and pouring two cups of tea from two separate teapots. Sugar? No, thank you. Suit yourself. I, um, <laughs> we, uh, we like to play a little game whenever we have a new lodger. Which admittedly is rare and even rarer when they're from out of town. Well, we, I mean, well, I, I offer them two types of tea. Okay. Earl Grey, hmm, or Orange Picot. And what does it mean if I pick either one? Oh, it doesn't mean anything, really. Then what is the point of the game? Well, you know, if, if, if for example, you end up being a bad lodger, we like to find ways to blame it on the type of tea you drink. And that's the game? Oh, yes, yes, simple as that. For example, if you're passive-aggressive and like Orange Picot, well... Self-explanatory, isn't it? <laughs> or say you had chosen Earl Grey and habitually slam doors and cupboards shut. <laughs> Speaks for itself, you know. Right. Of course. But look, I, I'm sorry. I can't help but notice your accent. It's English. Oh yes, yes. I'm glad you noticed, dearie. Yes, it is. Oh, I'm so happy you said something. So happy. I didn't want to be the first to bring it up in conversation, you know, but, but since you've done me the kindness, I need to know. Oh, where are you from? Tunbridge Wells. And yourself? Born and raised right here in this house. Uh huh. I'm sorry, you were born and raised here? Yes, absolutely, this house. But your accent doesn't. Well, it's much more interesting than that humdrum tongue coming around these parts. Of course, this is what I naturally sound like. But I'm quite the reader, and all my favourite authors are English. Or American. But Americans hardly sound different than that English accent. It's so exotic, isn't it? Well, I don't think I'm in a position to feel one way or another about being exotic. Of course not, of course not. For you, it's much of the same, but I find it a fun way to electrify those advanced years of my life. When you get to be as old as I am, you care little for what people might whisper. You know, just do as you please. Besides, there are far more things to whisper about round here than little old me and my silly ways. Is that so? Mm-hmm. It is. It is. 
Well. So, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you go. Oh, uh, I was just going to say thank you for the tea, um, but I'd better be getting back to my work. Oh, uh, so you're a, you're an author, right? I heard your typewriter from down the hall. Have I told you that I love to read? What is it that you're working on? Oh, it's not much of anything, really. I think being an author is the most admirable profession. To be able to write words in a way that can be so succinctly expressive or exhaustingly give language to people for emotions they did not know they had. For example... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you wanted to get on with your work. I should probably leave you, shouldn't I? No. I, I'd like to hear what you have to say. I've always thought of being an author as an admirable profession as well, but not many people, as I'd hoped for, felt the same back home. Oh, what a shame! So, as you were saying... Oh, yes, right. Well, for example, I read a story about a boy who accidentally became a pirate. He didn't, he didn't want to become a pirate. It just so happened that he did become a pirate. And I'll, I'll spare you the details, but uh, he ended up gaining the respect of the captain. And when the captain was mortally wounded, it was his turn to take over. And by this time, he'd forgotten that he never wanted to be a pirate, that he'd always wished to follow in the footsteps of his father, who was a shepherd. But as I said, he'd long since forgotten that he wished that. Then one day, they were anchored off the coast of a pastoral island with big green fields, you know, and he stood at the railing with his hands gripping the wood, and he was filled with an overwhelming frustration. So he took it out on his crew, screaming all sorts of horrible things at them. Screaming and yelling wasn't the answer, because soon that frustration bubbled up in him again, and not knowing how else to manage his frustration, you know, the anger, and these were the words he used, frustration and anger. So not knowing how to deal with these emotions, he screamed and he yelled at his crew, and over and over he did this, over and over, until finally they had had enough. Right? And so they threw him overboard. And as he swam to shore, choking on seawater, he swore at the sky and spat back at the ship and his face was all red and hot with fury. But he couldn't help wondering why it was that he had come to be the man he'd become, right? Well, finally he sets his feet on the shoreline and he's awfully cold. But he knew there was a village just on the other side of the cove, so he begins walking as he's shivering with the ocean breeze hitting him in his soggy clothes. And he's walking towards the village, and the ground goes from rocky shore to open fields of grain, like cheering him as they shake in the wind. And he, he hears the cheering, and, and something inside him screams, run, so, so he runs. And at first he runs to the village, and then he finds that running fills him with, you know, with so much joy, and all the anger and the frustration and that need to shout and scream leaves him. By the time he's finally out of breath and exhausted and, and starving and, and heads into town, he's a completely new man. And he ends up living a very modest life, stripped of his treasures, you know, and his authority, yeah, and his fearsome reputation and all that. But he's just so happy to be able to run about, you know, wherever he wants. It doesn't matter. And he, he dies an old man with a smile on his face. Sounds like something you'd read in a pulp magazine. Oh, it was! Yes, yes, I read it in The Argent. It's my absolute favourite. Personally, I think pulp magazines get less recognition than they deserve, you know, just because they're cheap and they, they print them en masse. It doesn't mean they're any less valuable than the classics or conventional literature. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I agree with you on that point. 
What do you think is more accessible? A leather-bound copy of some English classic or a magazine of serialised stories that can be purchased for pocket change? <laughs> Come on. You're saying that pulp magazines are better than uh, Thomas Hardy or Oscar Wilde? I only wonder who's responsible for more people finding a love of reading. Seems like the story of a pirate disguising a tale about anxiety and finding where you belong and unmasking who you truly are through seemingly unfair and unfortunate circumstances could be equally as valuable. You got all of that from a pulpy little story about a pirate? Oh, of course! I mean, it didn't exactly shout it from the rooftops, but it didn't need to because I felt it and isn't that the point? I've read my fair share of the classics, and not once was I given the language or context for how I felt inside the same way that silly little story about a pirate did. You're a writer yourself. I'm sure the last thing you need is little old me going on and on about things you clearly have a better understanding of. Uh, no, that's... It was a very illuminating anecdote. A anyway, what are you writing? If you don't mind me asking, of course. Uh, no, uh, no, it's fine. I'm... I'm writing about the fort. Oh, about the fort. Oh, how interesting. Well, that's the issue. Is it interesting? Oh, you've only been here a couple of days, but I'm, I'm sure you found plenty to write about so far. Well, originally, I came all the way here to find out what happened to my great-great-great-uncle. He's become quite a legend of myth in my family, but so far there's been no evidence that he was ever actually here. Oh, have you checked the Historical Society? I have, but they assured me that there is no record of the family name Collins. Collins? That's my family name, yes. And what was your uncle's first name? Richter. Have you heard of Richter Collins or any Collins in the fort? Um, well, let me see if I can find something for you. I, I have quite a stockpile of old letters and family records and whatnot in the attic. Oh, oh wow. Uh, that, that would be fantastic. Uh, thank you. It's no problem at all. In the meantime, why don't you read me what you've written so far? Uh, well... It's, uh, not ready to be read aloud. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. Do an old woman a kindness and read me what you've written. Come on. Oh, all right. <clears throat> Welcome to the fort. Humble, kind, tiny and terrible. The fort sits nestled in the curves and swirls of the fog born of the East Fraser River that climb through thick woods and jagged, monstrous hills. You could say it exists somewhere in the Great White North, but if truth be told, the fort is neither great, nor is it white. Ooh, go on. That's it. Oh, that, that's all. That's all. Really. Well, I mean, all I've heard since you arrived is you hammering away at your typewriter keys. I, I expected a little more. A little more? What is there to write about the fort? This place is the physical manifestation of narcolepsy. Oh, no. I, I, I wouldn't say it's as boring and as sleepy as that. No, 
Tell me then, what exactly happens here? Oh, plenty! Plenty. Although, not much I'd like to talk about, if truth be told. Folks here just need to warm up to you before they start spilling their guts out to you. Great. Just great. Once again, we arrive at the crux of my frustration and writer's block. Oh, oh, I know, I know. You could start off writing about my goats. Ruth, was it? Oh, yes, yes. I'm not going to write about your damn goats. Hmm. Paul, was it? Yes. Beggars can't be choosers. As he leaned back in his chair, Paul scoffed and Ruth sucked in her pinched and lined lips to hide the smile she felt clawing its way onto her face. A look of insecurity plagued the feigned indifference of Paul's body language. Her words were a bitter medicine. The way the old woman had called him out on what he knew to be his own habitually poor behavior. It stung all the way down into his chest. A moment sat between Paul and Ruth. A silence that could have resolved itself by walking either of the two paths ahead of them. Paul could accept his humbling and Ruth could let him quietly reflect. Or he could continue on in the manner he had for much of his life, with fierce obstinate determination to avoid his own shortcomings. And Ruth, well, she could simply decide his character ran only as deep as that. The old woman sat with a straight back her hands folded in her lap as she let Paul decide where they would go from there. The moment sat and then lingered and then stagnated between the two as a folio of emotion painted Paul's brow. Oh, she could see how hard he was trying to find something clever to say, something as clever as he thought himself to be. What an impossibly high standard, she thought for one as young as him to set for himself. Well, uh, lunchtime has come to its natural conclusion and I'll leave you to your work. Best of luck, dearie. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Please go on. Tell me about your goats. Oh, I wouldn't want to distract you from your writing. Please. But if you insist. You've seen my goats, I imagine. Out the back? Oh, uh, yes. I got my first goat a, a few years back because we had a problem with the brambles. Goats will eat nearly anything that, that other grazing animals won't touch. So next thing you know, I found myself mother to a whole herd of goats. Turns out I like goats. Quite a lot. Lately, though, I've noticed that they've been acting strange. How so? Well, I was out walking last week. You walk your goats? Oh, of course! Uh, but don't they just run away from you? <laughs> don't be ridiculous. <sighs> no. So, anyway, last week I was out walking my goats, and we decided to go a bit further than we normally do. We wound our way till we were far out of sight of the fort, and we simply kept walking. I suppose I was feeling restless. Next thing you know, we're at the well. Uh, the well? Yes, the well. 
what's the well? Oh, I'm sorry, silly me. Of course, you wouldn't have a clue. It's a curious little place where an old well sits. The earth around it is kind of sunken, so it's it's hidden amongst the fields, and it's it's really quite popular with the young lovebirds as a picnic spot. But it always feels like such a horrible place to me. There I was, and my goats are grazing, and I'm I'm flicking dirt at the old mossy stone well when all of a sudden Yes. Well they all started bleating loudly. They all started bleating loudly. Yes, yes. It's quite unsettling, too. Isn't that what goats do? Oh, no, not like this. Well, how was it different? I'm not sure. It sounded strained. You know, like it was louder and panicked. Like it hurt them to bleat that way. Like it would have been like razors sliding against the insides of their throats and they continued bleating until only naught but a soft choking sound was left when their throats were too abused to continue the chorus and even then they wouldn't stop it was horrible all of them with their mouths open and their eyes wide and panicked and their tongues extended and nothing but that pained grinding of mangled vocal cords. It unnerved me so much I nearly set off home without them. In, in fact, I did. But when I turned to look, they were following. Their mouths still open and the noise of their struggle to continue bleating, chasing me as if they wanted to eat me. Then what happened? Oh, well, we got home, had some supper, and then I went to check that they'd all arrived back in their pen. And they had. But they aren't sleeping. And? They aren't sleeping. Not at all? Not a wink. Hmm, that is curious. Not really the way one would imagine a tale of terror or intrigue to begin, but an unsettling start nonetheless. Hmm. Where exactly is this well? Oh, I can draw you a map if you like. This episode was written, directed, and narrated by Cole Weavers, with sound production and editing by Matt Black. Our theme song is by the wonderful Charlie P.S. Sound design assistance by Stefan Indrasano. This episode featured Mike LeBeau as Paul Collins, Lydia Nicholas as Ruth McMillan, and Imogen Harris as Minnie. To find more information, or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website at thetownwhispers.com. Rate and review us online. Tweet us at The Town Whispers. Join us on Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Visit us on Facebook or email us at thetownwhispers at pulpaudio.ca. 
The Town Whispers is a serialized horror podcast produced by Pulp Audio, distributed by Callum Doherty of the Rusty Cool Network, and licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License.